0: Welcome to What's Wrong with Wolfie.
1: What's wrong with Wolfie, a retro podcast dedicated to the pop culture of the 80s, 90s and zeros. My name is Jason. And I'm Rich. I'm Chris. And I'm Steve. And it's time to serve the public trust, protect the innocent and uphold the law as we discuss the Paul Verhoeven sci-fi classic, Robocop. Get the best of both worlds: the fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer, onboard computer-assisted memory, and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you, Robocop.
2: This guy is really good. He's not a guy. He's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. <laughs> cancer is crime let the woman go you are under arrest you you better back up pal your move (laughs) creep what are your prime directives you have the right to remain silent you have the right to an attorney
3: anything you say may be used against
2: you he's a cyborg you idiot you recorded every word you said.
3: You're dead!
0: We killed you! His memory's admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it! Get out cop for God's sake! Robocop, the future of law enforcement.
3: Oh, sorry, I have, I have questions about that music. Yeah. And I was um, literally about to say
0: about that. <laughs>
3: I was, I was, like, that was my, no,
1: my next line is like, so, so lads, listening back to that trailer, what the hell's going on with the music? Because that's <laughs> Terminator, surely. It right. is. It?
2: Terminator, yeah, yeah. Like, well, I was, I've been watching some interviews recently and they did say that this was Orion's response to the Terminator phenomenon. No, but to actually use Terminator but music to, in the trailer. <laughs> to have the balls to just go, yeah, we're just going to use that music. Boom, there it is. Jesus I mean that, that I mean that's
3: some balls and I'm surprised they got away with it. This definitely was like an official trailer. I right? didn't find some like fan edit online or something. <laughs> <And> just <laughs> no, it on the pre- podcast. Think, pre- thinking I'm, about that. Yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure this is an official like uh trailer. I mean it had the Orion thing at the beginning and Mm. everything i is, can't you know.
0: I, I can't think of any other examples but i do feel like music used in trailers is like a different like legal mm. area i i remember movie trailers chopping and changing music from other movies before i can't think of any yeah. examples right now but yeah that's a pretty egregious example wow mm.
2: i think i think james horner holds a record i think for the most of his music used in trailers through the 90s and early 2000s it's really weird isn't it like they're just but then I suppose anyone can go to a music library and pay for that, right, and just go, we need to yeah. use this. Okay, boom. <laughs> I mean, it's a shame in a
1: way because, I mean, it didn't need to try and ride off the success of The Terminator because Robocop is just an awesome film just on its own, really, isn't it? Yeah, so, so.
0: it is. But I guess no one knew that before they saw it, right? No, so you I got to supposed, sell it to the yeah. existing audience, I guess. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, in a violent, near-apocalyptic Detroit, the evil corporation Omni consumer products, wins a contract from the city government to privatise the police force. To test their crime eradicating cyborgs the company leads lead street cop Alex Murphy into an armed confrontation with crime lord Bodica so they can use his body to support their untested Robocop prototype. What occurs from here on is a story of Robocop reliving memories of his past life, finding out about Prime Directive 4 and seeking revenge on Bodica and the Omni Corporation. And... Rich, uh, I'll come around and ask each of you the same question. just like, you know, tell us your Robocop stories.
3: Oh, man. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is one of the things I first watched on TV. I think it must have been on like ITV. I could be wrong because it's, I usually think I, I rent these films out when I first see them, but there's saying about so many scenes in this film that I never saw until many years later, specifically Murphy's death. And just how <laughs> yeah. graphic that was, yeah, and when I first saw it uncut, I was like, "Jesus, so unless they were editing the like the rental tapes of the rental market, I don't know, but what I saw up to a certain point was definitely heavily sanitized, but even at the time, I think even what there was in the version I first saw, I think this was my first real foray into ultra violent kind of movies, I mean I'd already started to develop a bit of a diet on you know violent films, you know, Predators, Terminators, um, Demolition Mans, that kind of stuff. And obviously that kind of was after this. But Robocop was the first time I really just it just kind of pushed it to a next level. And it's something I think we kind of associate with like Verhoeven now, but obviously at the time, impressionable, you know, young boy, I was like, geez, this is the best thing ever. This is just perfect. <laughs> and I think even then, even though it doesn't didn't resonate with me. At that age, there was something I did kind of take away from some of the satirical side from it. it, it if nothing else, it just felt different. And even though I wasn't like laughing at, you know, it's commentary on, you know, Reaganomics and, you know, capitalism and, you know, just Verhoeven giving the middle finger to all that shite. I liked it just from an aesthetic. I liked it. It had this wink and a nod, this sense of humor about it. You knew it was trying to say more than just your typical sort of, Macho action movies up till that point, and even after it, it just felt different. It felt a bit more comic booky in a way, I guess, because there's so much more going on than just here's your one protagonist, here's one antagonist, mindless scenes of violence. It, there was just something more to it. What really stood out to me about it, more than anything, it's, it's really di- it's a really difficult one because I think. I liked that this film, it, it was a real revenge story as well. It wasn't just this nice little slice of science fiction. It was revenge. It was a degree of body horror. It just had so many more things going on than like your action films have seen up to that point. So, and so I've, I've seen this countless times since. I mean, from TV to DVD, Blu-ray, I've got it in 4K now. Different cuts, things missing, things added. It, it's, just, it's a film I always go back to at least once a year. I don't really have much love for the sequels, I'm not going to lie. Favourable, I guess, towards the remake, somewhat. Mm. <laughs> it's better than it should have been. And, yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm rambling now, but, yeah, this film has just got so much stuff in my brain when I think about <laughs> it and talk about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. I love Clarence Bodica. He's just one of the most terrifying on-screen villains. Anne Lewis is fantastic. Love her to bits. Uh, I can't remember if they killed her in the sequels. I think they did. That pissed they me did, off. They
2: did, yeah. Yep, that's bullshit. Ooh. Um, Yeah, not happy about that. (laughs) Doesn't really count because it's Robocop three, so yeah, yeah, the (laughs) jetpack. So Um, yeah, hell. (laughs) Uh, Oh man, what else?
3: There's so many things. I I mean, I remember as well. It's probably what a few years after the film first came out as well. But I I jumped on, and we can actually go back to that trailer we listened to earlier, the music, and it also having the Robocop vs Terminator game and Mega Drive as well. Oh yeah. yeah, similar in a way to. This film being my first real encounter with like ultra violent, you know, on screen violence. It, that game was the first like real violent game I ever owned slash played. So that was just like, whoa, it was a trip. The seeing like dudes exploding into fountains of blood and <laughs> blood splatters up curtains and windows when you were like shooting people inside the flats. It's just so cool. Like, so cool. I really love Robert cop. I don't know what to say. I mean, it's not many different things I consume. I don't feel like it's a franchise that's been mined to death, surprisingly. Yes, it's had like two other sequels. It had a TV show that was completely <laughs> devoid of violence. <laughs> um, where you just shoot a stack of boxes and the boxes would fallen on people. It's that kind of <laughs> level of violence. And who can forget Commander Cash as well? Uh, that was, oh God, so cringy, <laughs> So cringy. But yeah, I just, I really love Robocop as a character. I love Alex Murphy. There's so many things I want to say about what this film has to say things i'm reading into that probably aren't even there i know there's been like essays about is this film a trans allegory as well because it which is quite a mind trip oh, and that's i've been
0: really quite, that's quite looking I've never that.
3: never
2: thought
0: really yeah. about that I, we we still we, uh, maybe we'll dig into that later or after this because yeah. i've not heard that before that's
2: very <laughs> no.
3: interesting yeah it's a uh, it's, it's a trip so i'm yeah. gonna hand over now to someone else that isn't rambling quite so much about this film <laughs> because there's so much stuff is packed into my brain when i talk about this film so
2: yeah i could go on all day a bit like star okay. trek really so. <laughs> Firstly, this episode of Wolfie Pod is brought to you by the 6,000 SUX. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Always love the fact that <laughs> it just sucks. I think it's so beautiful. The 6,000 sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um... oh, <dear. laughs> one of my favourite jokes in the whole film. I think I must have found it late one night on a TV broadcast. And to say it came along again at the perfect time of my life where I was really getting into really high concept science fiction. At uh, quite a young age, actually, believe it or not. And um, this film is, hands down, just a flawless, perfect, deliberate B-movie. And it's perfect. It is trashy. It is loud. It is super violent. The cast is on point. Everything, it just, like, I don't know what else to say that Rich didn't say. Um, <laughs> I, I was kind of obsessed with... The RoboCop uni- like film. I've still got my battle damage oh, <laughs> Kenner RoboCop toy, actually wow. in a box somewhere, where you can remove the chest plate with bullet holes and the vi- and the helmet comes off. And yeah, I still have that, and I've never parted with it. But I we used to play RoboCop in the school playground at primary school. And again, and like Rich said, I had never seen the full version until I bought the Blu-ray. Must have been ten years ago or so now, and to see the unrated unedited version that was just insane the just the sheer violence and body horror and just it just hits all of the marks even if you're not into high concept shit or stuff there's every there's something in this film for everyone and every time i watch this like rich maybe once every year or two i get more jokes because i'm getting you get older and you get the satire jokes, and you get the privatisation jokes. Like the whole film opens with an accidental firing of a, of space-based weapons platform, and an yeah, just it just within the first like ten minutes, it's just like this is what we're doing, this is how we're going. But the cast is just fantastic. Peter Weller is just an amazing guy, and I was always, always, always obsessed with how. The makeup looked in this film and how they put Peter Weller into that suit. It's just gorgeous. It's just flawless. And the way they blend his skin in by making like it's sort of stretched over the mechanical parts to keep the organic parts. It's just... And, yeah... Like exactly what Rich said, it just came along at a time where we were being exposed to super violent films and it didn't turn us into mass murdering fuckheads. That we know of. <laughs> <Yeah>. No. And <laughs> yeah, we were watching stuff that we shouldn't be watching and it's just great. It's entertaining and the music is fantastic and it's real beat behind it and yeah, just it is just a great, great film. And I think we'll go into it in more detail as we record.
0: Yeah, so uh, I also really love this film. I would say easily, very, very comfortably, one of my favourite films of all time. Uh, I first saw this on VHS cassette in the early 90s. I had a friend... Uh, whose dad exposed him to films that he should not have seen at his age.
2: And I think there's he'd... a pattern emerging here. With one yeah. box, <laughs> and he likes it. Well,
0: my parents would not have let me watch this film, but I used to go around to his house and I would secretly watch, like he he showed me the early Peter Jackson films like Bad Taste and Brain oh, Dead man, and yeah. stuff. And um, in hindsight, I feel like you know he shouldn't have been watching those either. And I feel like he was like I need to spread this uh, PTSD around because I can't handle this on my own. Someone else needs needs to see this shit. So so he showed me Robocop and yeah, I loved it, even though it fucked me up because it's incredibly violent. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely used to sit in classrooms and and have little flashbacks to yeah. some of the scenes of this film, but I don't care because uh, it's one of those rare treats where you can love it as a kid for all the right reasons and then as you get older and you keep revisiting the film you like rediscover it every time and you're like oh shit this film's got stuff to say because it wears the disguise of being a low budget you know schlocky action piece of trash and it wears that disguise proudly and it's done immaculately But then the real joy of this film is the fact that it actually does have layers and it's got a lot of really good meaty things to say about capitalism, Um, you know, and if a film is anti-capitalist, then I'm there, Uh, I'm here, I'm here for it. (laughs) Um, It's got a lot to say about corporate culture and also... uh, you know, depressingly, it's a film that only gets more relevant as time yes. goes on. And <laughs> yeah. on my on my most recent, I, I fucking I love Paul Verhoeven films. Yeah. And his his dalliance with sci-fi action films was too short. I want th- like at least three more films from him yeah. in this genre because I just I fucking I love it. I love this and I love *Starship Troopers* and *Tote*. To, total recall but the, the thing about this film that stood out the last time I watched it was the news anchors and the yeah. way they sh- the way the way they shift from like you know the advertisements the 6,000 sux uh, and the like chuckling about the fluffy news pieces and then they they shift into serious mode really quick really quickly to talk about atrocities occurring <laughs> all over the globe and if you scrolled twitter you yeah. know exactly what that feels like. Yeah. That that is yeah. that is happening to us now. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it's just yeah, incredible film. I
1: love it. You've all touched on the the ultravioletness of the film, and you know it's a Paul von Hoven kind of trait, isn't it? You know, we we see it in his future films as well. But I seen it at such a young age. I mean, it was such an awe inspiring moment when we got to that scene with the shooting and just the. The pure violence of it all and I and that is still my kind of lasting memory of seeing this film for the first time is that and then the scene in the steel mill, which I'm sure we'll get to with uh, with the toxic waste.
2: Oh just, um, doesn't get more eighties than that, does it? So great. <laughs> the yeah. toxic waste mutant. <laughs> yeah. That's pure like oh. schlock, like it's oh, some just... freaking um
3: Yeah, it's just like weird trauma shit, seriously. (laughs) That's just great, (laughs) sublime.
1: Yeah, so I can't wait to talk about that a bit more in depth uh, later on in the podcast, but just the moments that have just stayed in my brain uh, about this film, as well as everything else you guys have mentioned, and it it will always just be a film that's very special for... I mean, like, in the 80s, in this time period, there just seemed to be a, a bunch of films that just didn't really care and just went all out with the violence didn't it and it just they just didn't seem to have a, a barrier was there but yeah and just the whole just the whole you know dude turns into a machine going around solving crimes and i always found it a bit weird i watched it in the trailer and like you know i don't know like robocop he's so futuristic and he just jumps in an old 80s police car and drives <laughs> off and i think i just feel there, like the dude needs a, to be in his own like super futuristic car or something there's
2: actually that's, a story a behind point. that is that- um, yeah, I, again, it's one of my, Robocop was one of my obsessions growing up. I have all these random obsessive moments in my life. Uh, the They were looking for a futuristic car, but couldn't find one because it was the mid-80s. So I can't remember, was it? It was a Ford. They used a Ford car that looked as futuristic as they could. So they gave it a matte black paint job and did something to the headlights or something and made it look as futuristic as they could. But also the <laughs> the weird commentary was... Like it's based in the near future, but how much has anything changed in the past thirty years? Not much. <laughs> so yeah. they kind of got away with it. And I always wanted that toy. Robocops cop car. Never got it. I always wanted it. And they they, <laughs> they occasionally turn up an eBay and they're just great, it's like a proper like American police car and it's matte black mm. and it just Don't looks gorgeous. No.
3: I'm
0: that that really stood out to me at the time as well the concept of of a robot driving a normal car
3: yeah <laughs> but
0: it's great I, I i think from what i understand as well they get the the uh oh, the, the the person um who wrote the film it's escaping me edward edward Newmanier. he he wanted like a like a super futuristic like blade runner style feature yeah. but obviously they didn't have the budget for that so instead you've got like a sort of grungy semi-future version of detroit but i think it super works yeah it feels like it is Detroit before technology explodes into a blade runner f- future right it's like the precursor to things being really nuts in terms of technology and i think that sort of grungy dystopian future really really works
3: well i think yeah i mean it grounds it a lot more and i think it makes the the commentary the whole you know message about capitalism like way more impactful Mm -hmm. instead of it just being this like you know completely hollywood you know sci-fi landscape just something you can't actually relate to it's just enough futuristic enough but it's still contemporary where it's like okay yeah whether it's the 80s whether it's even now to an extent it looks familiar it looks relatable yeah It just feels really, really grounded, and I think it gives the message a lot more weight. So, yeah, I'm
2: glad I didn't have the money. (laughs) like that. But it's it's funny, because these commentaries on capitalism and private... private... privateering? um, (laughs) Privatisation. Privatisation of corporations and services and stuff like that is just... it's not just an 80s thing. These things are in films now, but I think... By doing so, everyone's aware of capitalism in its horrible forms <laughs> by all forms. Yeah, and we're going through it now with the <laughs> privatization yeah, the privatization I mean, yeah. of uh, health services and doctor Circo surgeries yeah. and
0: like, they talked about privatizing the police force in this country not that long ago.
2: Yeah. And this is the great thing. When I watched it earlier this afternoon while well, sorting stuff out, it's like I found myself not sorting anything out. I put it on, I think I can watch it in the background, but it's one of my favourites. And I literally sat down and pretty much watched the whole thing while looking up behind-the-scenes stuff that I might not have known already. But um, the by placing the adverts in it is so... it, Like you said, Rich and, Je- and Steve and Jason, it normalises it to a point where you feel comfortable. And then just when you, you think you're comfortable and you understand what's going on, it's just... I completely lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. Well,
0: I know what you're saying um, because it- like like these like these days, right? Things 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 kind of suck right now generally speaking. But the the uncomfortable juxtaposition that we experience now is usually in the form of like advertisements yes. and companies shoving stuff into your eyeballs about how great stuff is, how aspirational their products are and RoboCop you know, totally uh, nailed that feeling because you've got this ultra violent dystopian future that is just suddenly cut into with a bizarre advertisement. It's very well done.
2: And it's, it's again, like Blade Runner before it and quite a lot of films as well. By, by throwing that in your face, you realise that it's a, a tale of two, not tale of two cities kind of thing, but it's how the other half live. Instead of the class system, you've got the dirt poor and the super rich. And yeah. if you watch Blade Runner, um, there are many versions, but just watch the final cut. It's the best one. Again, you look in the poor district, and I watched a documentary, the one that was made about a year ago, was it? Two years ago? The making of Robocop? Yeah. Uh, would they brought all the actors and producers and people in and talked about it. The dynamic is you've got people with nothing and people with everything, but the people with everything are f- like Steve said throwing all his stuff at you you've got billboards everywhere you've got newscasters just spinning shit because that's what they're told to spin they're selling you a product I and mean, exactly what this film is it's selling everyone a product yeah and yeah.
0: what is it that Bob more Bob Morton says about Ro- RoboCop he's like uh with with these new you know uh, privatized police force full of robots we predict the end of crime in detroit within 40 days (laughs) and you can either you can either take that as like that's you know ridiculous sci-fi concept or he's talking out of his fucking ass and he's a corporate stooge spouting bullshit just like they do now yeah, and it's like totally agree. it's like you're you know you're stood on a on a stage claiming this. All the homeless people do not give a fuck about what you're saying. Like all you're doing is earning uh, a return for all of your investors. You total scumbag.
3: Another thing, in this film as well, what I find, um, it's kind of a random scene, but like you talk about the themes of you know the people that have nothing, the people that have everything, whether it's through, well, it's pretty much guaranteed through absolute you know corruption and shitbaggery. But there's in that scene like on the um gas station like forecourt when a is filling up. hmm uh-huh. And he holds up the guy in the booth. But you get that really, really cool shot where it's really close in on the face from like the side. And you see the like clerk in the little booth in the gas station. And he's like incredibly small in the frame, behind mm. glass, sort of hands up against the glass. And Mill's right in your face. And it's almost kind of framing it like how small the other half are, yeah. and how just completely dominant, indominant, literally dominant in the frame for us as a viewer, like Emil is, or people in his circle. And it's just really, really cool. It's almost like the guy in the gas station is almost in a cage. He's in this little booth, doing his like late job. He's studying as well for his for his like exams or whatever. And it's just like yeah, it's really, really clever. Like, and it's not quite as literal as some of the other stuff in it. Yeah, like be it billboards, be it you know, actual bits of dialogue. I really love that scene. And it's something I kind of, it clicked to me like years later. when I thought, well, yes, I think I know what they're doing there with the way yeah. that's been shot. And it's really, 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 really cool.
2: I was very the same with um, when you get the flashbacks to Alex Murphy's life before. Yeah. Where they're painting the police force as this kind of like down and out thing. They've got outdated equipment. They've got outdated everything. It's all old. It's all hand-me-downs. Mm. Yeah. What's happening now? Exactly the same is happening yeah. in our military. Or NHS and our police with forces. their
3: Windows 98 computers.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and what struck me was in the flashback in when Murphy goes back to his old house and this is why I love these high concept um, things where you've got, again, it's, again, to bring, I suppose, Star Trek and Blade Runner and stuff like oh. that into it, it's <laughs> no, no, it's, it's my, like the way they've done it is you can program something or someone, but ultimately love compassion and memories will surface mm-hmm. and change that programming for the better and you when he's in the house and he's having his flashbacks he starts beating stuff up but as you look around the house and again like you rich it was only later and you know probably a few years ago maybe 10 years ago even um, when i watched it i was like hang on a minute is that telling us that the police in this iteration of reality are on really high decent wages because the house is immaculate it's got that free roaming flat screen that follows around the house and stuff it's, and it was a eure- like, not eureka moment but I sat there and I was like is that really what they're getting at is the fact that police force is privatised and that's why these cops are getting paid decent money living in decent neighbourhoods because that's not real mm. that's not the reality of this down and out cop district in run down Detroit it didn't I mean, it was yeah, such a jarring even, difference. It was it weirded not weirded me up, but it was just like I couldn't quite grasp
0: it. I mean, it's either that or like people on minimum wage now have big flat screens and iPhones, right? And they have those because the production of those is outsourced, and the yeah. suffering in the production of those is outsourced, right? So it could also be that, right? People in this world Maybe. should be satisfied because they have a flat screen that follows them around their house, but you know they get paid peanuts <laughs> and everything sucks.
2: Yeah, I and mean, it's that corporate corporate thing, isn't it? Like yeah. everyone wants these things just to have the thing. They yeah, don't mm-hmm. necessarily use the thing or want the thing. They just feel like they need the thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, but <laughs> Apple like take a re- bow. Those those struggles that um, Murphy has throughout the film, like this is a this is a, um, a revenge film in the literal sense, right? In the schlocky B movie sense, uh, he gets gunned down and then he comes back and take and takes revenge. But also, like he is taking revenge against you know the corporation that that did that to his body and who brought him back from the dead and he's taking revenge against that system and against capitalism and he's saying like fuck you i'm not a unit of production that you can just exploit like literally exploit my body for for your production for your returns and he just comes back and says fuck you and shoots that guy out of the window that's one of the really coldest
3: bits in the film as well when yeah. they're like first piecing them together and like they said, oh, we saved the arm and they just like, get rid of it. Like, And that yeah. itself is so cold and horrible. Yeah. All like, they want is humanity yeah. and you just like,
2: now, nah, bin it. Yeah. We want this. And this he's a product and it's just horrible. Yeah. And that's so. funny. Like, I was waiting for someone to bring it up, or I was, but did someone mention Star Trek? Yeah. Um, <laughs> You may not like TNG season one or two, but everyone who's familiar with Star Trek needs to watch The Measure of a Man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Of Um, And instantly when I realised this a few years back, I was like, actually, hang on a minute, it's the same story. A guy comes in and claims the character of Data as Federation property because he's a machine. But no, he's a sentient machine and... This is the exact same story, where they have taken someone who's essentially dead, stripped his humanity, used his brain and his biological elements to put into a machine, because the brain's processing power is higher than that of a computer processor, so it makes sense to do that. And The Measure of a Man is a very similar story, if not identical, where this... Arsehole comes over and says data is now under pre- is is a product. He is federation property and he needs to be studied. And data being a logical brained android is like, but I am property and he says it to the captain, he says, But I am the property and because I like, no, you are a sentient being. You have rights. You you have developed to a point where you have understanding and sentience. They can't just take you away and study you and rip you apart for spare parts and to study. And it's very similar, eerily similar to this. I guess the only th- difference
1: is Data ain't running around shooting the crap out of everybody. No, but it's it's
2: just that, that story of stripping someone back and beating them down to a point where you sell them as a product. So like, this film yeah. does it so well and as does the episode of Star Trek and I'm sorry to bring um, Star Trek into it but it's a very good segue into it because it just I, I think it's relevant, yeah Yeah, and it's that many memed and gift Picard moments where it says isn't isn't Federation ideals to seek out new life, well there it sits and he says I'll rest my case and when you watch this Murphy has the same payoff at the very end he has all his memories back in his human heart and he just, they fire the CEO of ACP and he turns around and shoots the... Out the window. I love that bit, so much. right? <laughs> thank and you. sorry for the C bomb that can be blipped out, um, but, but uh, it was just great because he. And again, it 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 has echoes of Isaac Asimov's writings with the the laws of robotics, where uh, artificial life form cannot hurt, harm, or um, dishonor its creator or owner. And they they throw that into this film. They got like that law where he cannot do anything to a superior officer, or and as soon as he's fired, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> off you pop. Un- your pop. Unloads
0: arms- a clip into him, and yeah, your arms are going to go really long now, and you're going to fall down. Yeah, fall down. that was
2: weird <laughs> was a puppet. And that comes oh. up on so many special effects videos, and you're like, oh, here we are again. But like, mm-hmm. I think it's a good comparison because in the TNG episode, that
0: that wanker, uh, what is he called, Maddox? Yeah, he's like, he's like, yeah, but think about how much progress we can make. Like, if we kill this data, we can make lots more data, and when we can progress and it will be beneficial to society. And he's not considering the like the human cost of it. No. And even that's absolutely what yeah. happens in yeah. Robocop. Cause and it's like, yes. yeah, we're going to fucking take this dead body and bring it back to life and shove it in a robot. Uh, but it's like, think of the profits. It's going to be incredible. We're going <laughs> <Yeah>. eradi- <laughs> to we're going to eradicate crime in 40 days.
2: Yeah, and in Star Trek: Picard, that comes to bite Maddox back in the ass if anyone's watched it, because <laughs> they have the the team of robots based on Data, don't they? That mm. destroy one of the colonies and stuff up. Like but it's just it's just becomes more relevant, and I'm sure Rich will go into what you mentioned at the top of the show um, oh, about little, uh... the whole the whole transition change thing. Yeah.
3: I kind of, I feel like I kind of, I've, I've mind this, there's this YouTuber called Maggie Mayfish. She's fantastic. She does lots of like movie, television, video essays. I don't, I'm kind of a bit split about this. I'm not sure. And I think, again, like all this kind of, you know, all pop culture, all media, it's open to interpretation. We We, we put things into it that, you know, might not be there, but I think it kind of, for some people, it kind of just aids with the experience. It can be a comfort. It can make things more enjoyable, more relatable. But what she basically said about Robocop and the whole, like, trans allegory is from the outset, when you first meet Murphy, when he first enters the precinct, I mean, I'll say it. I think there is something actually quite feminine about him, his appearance, his stature, the fact that when he first meets Anne Lewis, she's very much like his equal. She's not like your typical 80s action movie, you know, female character. She's, yeah, she's got attitude yeah, you know, her build—they're very much equals. And then I think you go for the trauma of his murder, and then when he's put into a body that he doesn't fully recognize, he's not comfortable in, doesn't feel right. I think that's where it—that's where a lot of people read into it in a different way. I mean, actually, prior to him actually being killed, there's the whole scene when he's um, talking to Lewis and he's doing his little gun tricks, you know, because yeah. it amuses his son, and people have interpreted that as well of him trying to conform to a masculine role, a masculine ideal, and I was like, my brain I've never
2: never (laughs) considered that.
3: He seemed like he was actually enjoying it, but it's this idea of maybe he doesn't fully feel comfortable with the person that he is, so he's trying to fit into a certain role. And then when he ultimately becomes Robocop, he's in this different body. When he first encounters Lewis again, when he's actually behind the mask... He's looking at her when she says, Oh Murphy, it's you. He's looking at her, but it's it's it sounds kind of nuts, I know, but that's the first kind of interaction he had with a person when he's actually Robocop himself, and he's looking at her almost like it's a mirror. He's seeing this feminine figure talking to him, telling him, you know, to basically remember who he is to identify correctly and not go with what people tell him he is. And I was like Okay, this is actually kind of nuts. Now, again, I don't think Beethoven did that, but yeah. Uh, yeah,
0: I mean, look, there's not a chance in hell that that was any consideration <laughs> no. during the production of the film. But like, like allegory does not have to be present in a text for you to find it, right? That's no. what that's what happens when you when you sort of do a reading of any text. And I think that's com- completely valid reading. I yeah. think that's I think that's a really cool take.
3: I mean you can say it's kind of it falls apart early on actually because of the fact he becomes rubber through something basically against his will so you could mm-hmm. kind of say well actually that's instantly where the allegory falls apart because he's yeah that happens through trauma he's being forced into that body whereas you know some people believe that's actually the case but there are souls. Mm-hmm. uh but yeah it wasn't a free will to be fair but i feel like a lot of the things that happen either side of that moment where he gets killed I don't know. I, I, I see it, but yeah. Do I think it's the, actually the case by design, even considered? Probably not, but no. it gave but the it, film a nice new dimension. I actually quite like it. Like the way. Absolutely. I watched it the other, uh, not, the other morning. I was like, you know what, this kind of works.
0: <laughs> so, and, yeah. and it speaks to, you know, it speaks to the quality of the film because it has layers and you can do that kind of dissection and examination if you want yeah. to, because there's a lot there. There's a lot going on in this film, for yeah. sure.
1: Before we move into the cast, I just want a quick chat about the effects of the film. And I went back to the cinema to see this last year for its anniversary. And I thought that most of the effects held up quite nicely. And we mentioned before about Robocop himself and what a great job they did of dressing up Peter Weller with the, the suit and the way they managed to have that effect of stretching his skin you know, so yeah. it just looked like his face was just the only part of him left on this machine. But obviously we had the machines themselves. I've got ED 20... ED-209. 20, ED-209, Ed 209. Ed 209, that's it, yeah. But that one and Dick Jones, you know, the guy who got shot and fell out the window with his Mr. Tickle arms. Mr. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tickle
3: It's a pretty freak, huh?
1: <laughs> He, you know, that one in particular still stood out as really mm-hmm. bad. Um, yeah. And it was quite, you know, there was quite a few chuckles going around the cinema uh, after that particular effect. But for its time, I, th- I think that the effects themselves were pretty cool.
0: I, I So like Ed 209, obviously stop motion. So stop motion has its limitations and it does look dated. But with Ed 209, I sort of don't care. Like I'm fine with yeah. it. I, I But... Like you say, when uh, Dick Jones falls out the window, that's basically unacceptable. What they did with that, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a real shame. <laughs> it's a real shame because it is it is a real blight, uh, and it happens right at the end. So it is yeah. a bit of a like, what the fuck? And then the credits roll, and you are like, did you see that guy's arms when he was falling out the window? Like it looks terrible, but you know everything else is so strong that you sort of you sort
2: of have yeah. to forgive it. I guess. It's again, it's it's that pulpy sci-fi film isn't it where the stop motion kind of helps it in a way mm-hmm. and yeah they didn't have you know cg effects and they couldn't really build it like full scale and have it really you know articulated but a shout up must go to phil tippet studio for oh, yeah. that yeah. ed 209 and again every piston and servo and spinny thing is just meticulously engineered and there's even when- some um they call them garage kits don't know where people make them on 3d printers or resin casting when you see someone build a kit on youtube you understand how complex the ed 209 miniature puppet was because it is just gorgeous when it's just absolutely gorgeous when you see it moving and you are seeing all these little things moving not just it's not just walking it's got all these other things going on these back other background things and it's just it's just gorgeous even watching it um, yeah, my, and favorite bit, my, my,
3: my favorite, my favorite head-to-toe moment, and this sums me up, is where RoboCop lights one up outside uh, the OCP headquarters, oh, it's just, yeah. and a little like toe spasm in. <laughs> <just, laughs> it's just a little touch. There's something you probably wouldn't get with. I mean, yeah, you'd get it with CG. Obviously, they could decide to, to animate that. But there's something about seeing that in stop motion. The fact they yeah. went that extra little mile to this little touch. So it was almost. It was quite
2: comedic. I love yeah, that that's, so much. That's yeah, the point. So if brilliant. you read interviews with Phil Tippett when he was doing the animation, they wanted to give Ed 209 more than just a robotic. They wanted to give him a more animalistic, natural look. So you do
3: that. You get the line, like the lion, tiger rules. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And then he cries like a baby at the end as well <laughs>
0: at like at 209 two when i when i was a kid was fucking terrified i was terrified of <coughs> yeah. that yeah thing
3: yeah i was a kid
0: and and part of it was because of the weird animal roars that he did because yeah. it was like wow someone programmed that robot to have animal roars and that's frightening to me and what the scariest scene for me was when robocop was ru- ru- running away from him, from him and he goes down the stairwell mm. and Ed 209 can't work out how to go downstairs, which is hilarious. But, like, when you see the foot, all the little articulated bits in the foot, while the robot's trying to work out how to navigate stairs, and Ro- Robocop just like books it. He's just like, I'm out, peace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while Ed 209 is just like flailing around on the landing, even though that's like a comedy moment, I still found that really scary.
3: Yeah, no, it adds, it gives Ed some weird edge even though it is like that's it's funny it's kind of unpredictable You don't you know any what minutes before you saw him completely destroy someone in a board in a board meeting and be mm-hmm. the most terrifying thing ever it's almost like he is yeah it's it, it feels like a performance like he is a, yeah. he is a character Ed. it's like you know fucking wakim phoenix played him you know you just don't know quite what to think and it makes you very uncomfortable so yeah Oof.
1: I mean, and the other, the other thing of the of the film that really stood out for me as we're talking about the effects is not just the visual effects, but the sound effects. And you touched upon it there mm. with Ed Two O Nine with the, like the tiger roars that he that he made, but also like all the RoboCop noises, his thud as he walked. You know, yeah. you had the thud thud thud, but then you had that kind of like machine kind Wouldn't of and words as well
3: it's that weird like power punch sound as just does that weird i can't describe it he does it when he kills bodega at the end but there's a bit earlier in the film as well yeah it's a really cool sound effect when he like just punches or shanks someone
0: Is yeah and way? it's i mean it's Weller's performance right of like being a robot coupled with obviously the suits and the sound effects like really really sell it as being incredibly heavy, dangerous robot. What is it, four hundred pounds of pounds of foot pressure he can crush in his hands? Crazy. Uh, Yeah, something like that, I think.
1: the cast of the film and there's obviously peter weller himself who played alex murphy in robocop and how do you feel that he managed to portray both characters
3: Uh, yeah i I think he's fantastic it's so weird and it it almost feels like it's an insult but it's not but yeah watching him when he becomes robocop i do actually kind of forget that it is peter weller like in that role i almost feel like it could just be someone else's jawline like you really f- feel, and I guess in the way it works, because you think he becomes Robocop, he loses humanity. You don't see Murphy anymore; you just see a jaw line with this robotic body. But yeah, I really forget it's him doing the performance. It could easily have been, oh, he plays the cop guy who gets massacred, and then they get some other guy in to you know be the the hero of the movie and. But, yeah, it's him. And, I yeah, I, I I love him. I mean, it feels like we don't really get much time at all with Murphy, but the humanity that he has, his nice little sense of humour, you know, the way he just kind of gets on so well with Lewis from the first time they meet. So, yeah, he's just incredibly likeable, sympathetic. And, yeah, obviously, when he becomes a cop, is it quite a cold performance? Yes, but it's obviously by design. So it's not not bad in any way, shape, or form. But yeah it feels like he really is playing two characters. It never feels like there's this until obviously later on when he actually you know unmasks you get to see some of that humanity come back but I think the whole time he is just Robocop doing Robocop things it feels like there's a real separation so that is a credit to him. I mean he doesn't really necessarily have to you know flex his acting muscle while he's playing Robocop but he does such a good job at Playing those two roles, and yeah, I, I think he's fantastic in it.
0: Yeah, he, he I, I, I agree. I sort of wish that we got more Murphy uh, before he dies, but you know, it's a pacey film. It needs to get a move on. It's called RoboCop, but but yeah, it is a real stark difference between uh, the character of Murphy and then when he's in the suit. Uh, but he does a lot of incredibly good work, considering you only see his mouth for most of the film. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he he does he does really really good work. And then the scene where they take the mask off and you see his face, that's also a very disturbing scene that I remember from my childhood. Mm. But yeah, it's it's very well done.
2: What I love most about that scene in the steel mill is still to this day, we are seeing Murphy's face, current face, at the same time as Murphy does. It's jarringly shocking and it's supposed to be body shock. It's supposed to be what have they done, you know? And he's remembering who he was and... It's a lovely scene because they're having this heart to heart with his old partner and he's remembering what he is and who he is and also come to terms with what he now is. And it's a lovely scene and heads up the the makeup department just seamlessly blending the stretched skin over the the um the mechanical head.
1: Yeah.
0: It's it's cruel is how it strikes me. Like <laughs> yeah. what 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 kind of what kind of monster does that work where they're just pinning this guy's face skin onto metal and like stretching it back. Like it's, it's cruel and horrible. And And yeah.
2: Also they, they, I think they went through so many different design iterations of the suit, but by making it really disgustingly grungy engineering rather than seamless futuristic engineering, it works on a, such a deeper level of, He's a prototype, you know. It's rough and ready tubing and piping, and it's not—it's not perfect, which is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, but but and when he's
0: when he's got the helmet on, he looks perfect, yeah. right? But yeah. then you take the helmet off, and you realise that it's horrible. Yeah, and it—it's like you know what the corporation is doing. It's omni-consumer products. We are yeah. a, a big you know shiny conglomerate, but then you look under the surface, and it's and and it's horror.
2: Yeah, it just it's beautifully done it's again it's that that what's on the surface isn't necessarily what's underneath commentary it's done so beautifully well in this film and peter weller's performance i think like you guys must have said when i was off air for a minute he went into it and apparently did these kind of like bird-like almost reptile movements because like we said he could only see his mouth for most of the film and you need to have that performance factor in your visual acting your body language and he did it beautifully well
1: yeah, i like the way that he kind of his body moved for, turned first and then his head followed
2: i was
3: my throat my throat motion he has in the whole film is there's the bit when he uh just basically i think it's where they're producing all the uh the drugs and he goes through and he just runs through a load of um, Bodiger's men and he does that yeah. cool like turn and pivot where he kind of turns up and i i can't i hope you know the bit i mean but he just yes. kind of almost like Turns on his waist and then he kind of tilts yeah. upwards and looks, mm-hmm. aiming the gun. And he yeah, just his head stays almost locked the whole time. Yeah, it's, it's such just a sort of really cool, like inhuman kind of motion. I love yeah, it's it. so mechanical. Yeah. When they said that yeah.
2: you put in some some bird-like inspired performance, you can see it because if you watch a bird, they move their head before they walk or before they move anywhere. Peter Weller does that his head moves and then his body moves his head moves first his arm moves second and it's just it's a glorious performance just watching it's like a it's like a complex dance almost especially in that warehouse scene and the suit itself just oh my god that's just <laughs> I, I
0: did I did some reading about the production of this film today and apparently the suit came incredibly late they didn't even know what RoboCop was going to look like cuz Verhoeven was very indecisive about it and Peter Weller did a lot of, like, mime work to work out how he was going to move Yeah, his I robot. did hear that, yeah. And then they put the suit on him, and he's like, I can't do any of the stuff that I've learned because <laughs> this suit is not <laughs> what I expected. And they were like, we have to shoot, we have to keep going, so tough, shit. But he he insisted, he was like, no, 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 I have to know what, I'm- I have to know how to move in the suit. So they, like, paused the production for a few days while he worked out how to move like a robot. So all of that performance that he's done he came up with in like 2 days or something but he just absolutely
2: absolutely nails it. Yeah. But also did anyone pick up the um again like the Dick Jones's you know monkey arms again it's it's <laughs> it's, it's it's gone down in you know not f- internet folklore history but what happens to Robo's chin strap? Mm-hmm. chin strap? Yeah. There's a black chin strap that goes around Peter Weller's jaw and chin. Oh yeah. Okay, but when he, yeah. takes, when he takes the helmet off, there's no chin strap on either mm. him or the helmet. Terrible. I didn't notice that until some arsehole on YouTube ruined it for me once. <laughs> I, think like German, like, soldier, yeah. I think the German soldier is Top <laughs> Secret had it. Yeah. I was about, I yeah. was about to thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Steve. <laughs> I think you're the same idea as me. I start your you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> continuity there, you know, just... <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, well, let's have a quick chat about Kirkwood Smith uh, Clarence Bodica. Mm. What an asshole. But he portrayed oh, him just perfectly, fantastic. didn't he? It's
0: terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah, uh, it inspired casting, this guy, because he looks like he could be um, an accountant for Omni Consumer Products, but yeah. he's, just the way he looks, but he's not. He's the muscle, and he's a sadist, and a psychopath, and terrifying. He's great.
2: I saw someone describe. Kurtwood's performance is has anyone seen that film Michael Douglas film Falling Down mm-hmm. yeah. oh yeah yeah. and some someone again it's another YouTube video I watched years ago described it as Clarence Bodega is almost if Michael Douglas's character from Falling Down just went that little bit too far <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's somewhat blue collar worker who's just been fucked over so many times he's like nope <laughs> fuck it <laughs> but just what a performance from Kurtwood Smith and I didn't find out until watching documentaries that he'd only ever really done theatre and like bit parts on television up until this point so I think it was a um, Alan Rickman situation for Kurtwood and then he would turn up in Star Trek numerous times and would then be Red Foreman's dad in that 70s show, and that blew my mind, totally blew my mind, that he would go from something like Robocop and these real hard edge figures to play a dad in a 70s-based sitcom about kids.
3: I thought <laughs> so like when, like, Ken Free from bloody Dawn of, the De- um, Dawn of the Dead was in, like, Keenan and Kel, He's <laughs> playing, like, Keenan's dad.
2: Yeah, I like, well, but I just, just think it, it works with the Character in that 70s show because he is that blue collar worker who's been fucked over so many times and he's yeah. ang- angry at the world and it works. <laughs> and yeah. I just, but Kurt Woodsmith, just such an electric performance. Like mm-hmm. it's a he shame it, they didn't plan a sequel properly because, but then he had to have his come up and so it wouldn't have been in the sequel anyway if they did plan it. So, yeah, ignore that. Can you fly, Bobby? Yeah, I love that line. Oh, such an asshole. (laughs) And it's just, and again, the first like 20 minutes, and you see them shooting Murphy to pieces, and he's just such a non caring asshole. Yeah. Like, and you see villains who have heart or underlying things going on underneath, but Clarence Bodiger in this film is just an out and out asshole. Absolute prick of a man who doesn't care anymore. It never feels
3: like. A movie villain. He feels like Yeah. if you're in a situation in real life, flat out like you were being murdered in real life and you were Murphy, like you're looking at this guy and you know I'm I'm fucked because this yeah. person just does not
2: care. No, doesn't care about another did, person. Yeah. Like, and he wouldn't care if he died in a process either. He's it's just horrible. one of those people who have got nothing else to give Yeah, to yeah. life or humanity. And he's just like, Yeah, whatever. He's yeah. Gonna kill you and walk so away.
1: Good. So good. yeah.
2: Yeah. Even and, in this- and like
0: Murphy's death scene the thing that's the most disturbing about that is that like they have to kill him right but they're not just going to do that they're going to do it in the most horrendous way possible and Clarence Bonica makes sure that Murphy suffers the most and the cruelty is the point and Mm -hmm. it's so unnecessary and it's like that man is truly sadistic
2: yeah but it was the it was the torturing before the shooting yeah. They were. He was getting nice off on it. He off. was. He was buzzing. Yeah. They started with the, with the hand being shot off, Oof. and then the arm, and it's just. It's like you know serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer doing animals, isn't? They, they start off with animals, and then they're just natural progression up, isn't it? Mm. And he's, he's actually getting off on torturing and then murdering this cop who was only doing his duty. Yeah, and he didn't care, and yep. it's just it's so electrifyingly scary that that happens still <laughs> and has always <laughs> happened to people but oh my god yeah that truly scary scary villain played perfectly perfectly well
1: and I guess it's a little bit quite worrying that you know Kirkwood seems very comfortable <laughs> portraying <laughs> this kind of person that we all know as you've mentioned you know he's in that 70s show so obviously you know he's obviously not that kind of person in real life but um, I guess there's, there's just
3: another, there's exacting. another evil person in the '70s show
2: cast. But <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but again, to to um, mention that that death scene as well, like there's a whole deleted scene, and you only see it on the Blu-ray features, I believe, where they built a whole um, animatronic uh, torso of Peter Weller, and it's only seen for about two seconds from the back and briefly from the front, and if you look at just a at uh, Robocop behind the scenes and you'll see it. And this animatronic is gruesome. It's got parts that blow apart and they st- put it back together and, you know, and there's this scene where it's, it's rigged up to go backwards and writhe in pain. So it's got Peter Weller's face in this contorted thing. So not only do they put armatures underneath the face, they also armatures in the actual torso itself to have this scene of him being shot to pieces when he's on his knees. You only see it for a split second. And it's a shame that they had to take so much out for being so super violent that they wouldn't even release it in cinemas. <laughs> I'm
0: pretty you know. sure the direct the director's cut. I, I'm I'm fairly like you. You don't you don't see it for very long, but it is very very convincing. Yes, um, yeah, because sort of you look at Peter Weller's contorted face, and then it sort of pans round to behind. And yeah, that's, that's the shot. That shoot is him the in shot. The head. Yeah. And yep. the back of his head explodes. It's extremely convincing. Mm-hmm. It looks very gruesome and very real.
2: Yeah, that's the shot, and it's just—I yeah. would love to see a proper version with that full scene restored. Because you own, I think I've only ever seen behind-the-scenes stuff of that thing where they—they're resetting the rig, and it just—it looks gorgeous. <laughs> and it's just such a shame that we never see much of it because, yeah, exploding heads are a bit too far, I think, for. Uh... <laughs> Mm -hmm. but arms and hands are absolutely fine and being shotguns to pieces is absolutely fine but absolutely not a (laughs) close-up of a headshot no No.
1: (laughs) next on the list is ronnie cox who played dick jones the bad dude who kind of got the robocop and the ed 209 you know schemes up and running and trying to get one up on on the old man the leader of, of the corporation so he can be the dude in charge effectively the bad person of you know apart from Clarence he was the next bad man of the film but just in a different kind of style Ronnie Cox betrayed him
3: effectively didn't he? Yes. Yeah I think like Boddicker but in a different way or equally kind of uncomfortable to watch but. Cor- corporate version corporate, of Clarence. Yeah he's that person that you <laughs> yeah. kind of fear at work. Oh mm. uh, god he's the arsehole he's the guy that's <laughs> yeah. yeah he's just there's the bit like with um, Bob in the in, in the in the restroom and it's just I was just horrible. thinking of this like that myself yeah and he grabs him by the hair it's almost like he's kind of getting a bit handsy and he just like grabs his hair and he's just yeah he's unstable he's fucking unstable he doesn't want anyone trying to walk over him he just is driven yeah. by you know power and it's just yeah he's a bit of an arsehole yeah and he hires Bob, Bob uh Monica
0: to do his dirty work because he yeah. can't do it himself. But you know, you sort of get <laughs> the impression that if he could do it himself, he he would. He'd be fine with doing that stuff. It's just the ruthless corporate uh, environment that he's, um you know, that he's cultivating for himself. It's a scumbag.
1: Um, and of course, we couldn't uh, talk about the cast without mentioning Nancy Allen, who played Anne Lewis, and just the the heart of the film.
3: Yeah, absolutely, yeah, she's, she's phenomenal. I love a yeah. the of bits. And uh, I don't know
0: major, maybe. major childhood crush on oh, the yeah, character of yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's so cool. I, I, I've yeah. never really known what else she's been in. I, um, I would like to watch more stuff with it, her in. The documentary I watched earlier today, she was like America's sweetheart-like kind of actress. I think she <laughs> no, she's so I think cool. done a, a bit part in like the Carrie movie, the Stephen King movie. Oh, okay. But yeah, yeah I think so... she was just doing the, the rounds
0: her look in Robocop is like very different to everything else. Like she's got long, curly blonde hair and mm. then in Robocop she just looks completely different to how she does
2: oh, everywhere yeah. else. Beautiful. And then then they killed her character off in RoboCop three. That's so bad, Ooh. man. You don't do that. And I remember I remember watching Robocop two going, Yeah, it's alright. But as I've gotten older I've realised how bad Robocop two is. But again, the saving grace of Robocop two is the Kane robot, which is your natural progression from Ed two oh nine prototype to Kane. It's a glorious looking thing. And then I watched Robocop three on like Pirate Video once around of friends. And I was like, "What the <laughs> hell is this? That's not that's not Peter Weller. What the hell is going on?" And Robocop don't... two is
0: worth it for the robot that shoots himself in the head and then the sirens go off. Oh, I love that scene yeah. with the with the different
3: like concepts. Mm-hmm. So fantastic. And you have to wonder almost if that's like if they actually cycled through designs they maybe were considering for the first maybe. film. Yeah. I'd like to think it's a big in joke, but.
2: What's that for the cane robot?
3: Yeah, oh, yeah, so good.
2: And again, so good. like there's videos of people building a garage kit of the cane robot, and it looks stunning. I need to watch it's, Robocop two again now. It, <laughs> it's a true. stunning piece of engineering, both Ed two hundred and nine and the cane robot. But I always, I always remember the scene that where they dismantle Robocop and dump him outside the headquarters of the police station. Yeah. I always remember being more horrified at that than the body horror <laughs> in the first film. I was like, but you can shoot Robocop to shit, yeah, but he'll repair himself and he'll be fine, but to dismantle him and throw him on the ground, which is a, a beautiful puppet, by the way. <laughs> but, yeah, the sequels, let's just not talk about the sequels. Yeah, i do Yeah. <laughs>
1: get on to our favourite moments of Robocop and you know we've already mentioned quite a few of them but I'm sure there's like some standout particular scenes from the film and you know I'll go around each of you and then we'll we'll find them out and let's start with Rich.
3: For me it's a really really simple moment but I just feel like it gave me the chills in this film and it's a bit I touched upon earlier but it's the bit when Robocop basically runs through a load of Embodiger's men when they're in the place where they're basically manufacturing producing drugs and he just goes through he's just going on a shooting spree it's just saying about the way that whole scene is shot the way the score is used it's just it's simple but it just works it was the one real moment that you really felt like he was just kicking ass and it was a it was one of those few proper like hero moments of the film I love it. It works on a basic level for me. It wasn't trying to be clever. It wasn't trying to be emotive, satirical. It was just badass hero moment, and I love it. And predominantly because of the score, the way it was used, um, the way it accompanied the action. It just, yeah. Yeah, I I love a moment. Again, it's very simple. It's not a lot I can really break down about it. But, yeah, I just remember the first time I watched it and even... The other day when I watched the film again, I still get goosebumps from it. It's so cool.
1: Yeah, no, it's a cracking scene, and um, definitely appreciate what you're saying about it. Like, like you say, it's it's nice to be. I don't know. It's a bit of a grounding scene, isn't it?
3: Like- yeah, it, it strips it back for a moment. It just becomes a bit of a hero film. It just comes and takes out bad guys. It's not trying to do anything more than that. And I think it was yeah, it was nice in in a way, grounding you in just having it work on a nice base level i love it so he
1: he was just pretty much doing what he was created to do Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) but he's got this personal (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah vendetta Vendetta. as well he's not just you know going to the convenience store to stop some thug (laughs) for robbing the nice couple it's yeah he's got he's on a bit of a personal mission now and yeah it's just it's so cool
2: the whole film is my favourite scene but um <laughs> That's the this, easy way out, yeah, come on. I it's it's full of just amazing mowing down and that's why you go to watch these films is to watch a robot shoot a bunch of shit up. To me, I think I brought it up in various episodes. I'm I'm a stickler for the two man play scenes where you've got a bit of a breather and it's I brought again brought it up earlier, it's to me the scene where he takes off his helmet for the first time. And we see his face as it now is the same time as he does through a crappy piece of metal. You have fleeting moments where you see him adapting to who he now is and who he once was, but you have the full-on scene in the steel mill where he's talking to uh, anne Lewis, and he's having memories, bringing stuff up, and they're just both having this moment together, two partners who have entrusted each other's lives to each other and she feels bad because... She didn't let it happen, but she wasn't there in time to stop it from happening. So you've got that underlying guilt, and you've also got him almost in a way... And again, it's all down to Peter Weller's performance. He doesn't have to say anything. It's all in the eyes and the movements where he wishes he was just dead at that moment. So like, why did they keep me alive? Why and in, it's, it's a lovely bonding scene because he's having trouble targeting. And it's such a human scene to see his advanced... Robot prototype, who's been pinpoint up until this point, can't shoot baby food, and he's recalibrating. And it's just such a human moment between two characters, and one just happens to be ninety-eight percent machine. And it's just a lovely scene. And like I said, I'm a sticker for those moments where it's a, like a two-man play because it just it just works, and it always has done for me. Because
1: gives you a bit all, of emotion, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, we all have those moments where you're questioning everything in life, and in that five-minute scene. They're both questioning everything, where they are, how they got here, why they're there. It's just a lovely scene. And then it ramps up when they hear the cars pulling into that amazing, <laughs> brutal, grotesque finale that we have. Or semi-finale. So it's got three endings, this film, isn't it? But, um. Yeah, I was going to say, I like how
1: he has to shoot the baby food. And I'm sure there's a bit of like anger behind the, that shooting as well. You because know, mm. I'm sure he's very cross with and his own substance. He can eat his baby food. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, again, it's that it's that that trope of uh, being demoralized but not having control of that. But then, like, yeah, it's... you know, the
1: question comes into my head of like, so he has to consume this like baby like, pureed food gloop, whatever it is, and I, that surely there's waste. Is it? Is there waste? Does he have to go to the loo? It's we, not you know, mentioned
2: in the, the film, but I can only assume it's a process storage in hmm. the suit. Um, because obviously he has to eat to keep the biological components alive. From what I've read or heard on documentaries is, I think the the brain and the eyes and the heart and the lungs and the stomach were the only things salvageable. And they they touch upon that in a remake a little bit more in more detail. But how demoralising is it to be this cop who has to eat sludge? to survive and you're stuck in this suit what's your lifespan can you kill yourself you know can you end it if you and it's getting really deep and philosophical but it's it's relevant isn't it like oh yeah yeah it's like horror. how it's cosmic horror yeah how long can you put up with what you've been put into when it's nothing you had no control over it you were just put into this machine and you just what do you what do you do and must be horrible and pete Weather plays it just beautifully well I mean,
0: it's difficult, right? It's hard to choose a favourite moment in this film. I almost want to say right at the very end of the film, but I can't remember the character's name, after Dick Jones gets shot out the window, that executive oh. just turns and gives oh, a yeah. thumbs up. He <laughs> smiles <laughs> and gives a thumbs up. Amazing stuff. I love it. But, <laughs> so but um, I think it's the scene in the boardroom where they demonstrate Ed 209
2: and oh. it goes wrong, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. please
0: oh. please put down your weapon. You, You have 20 seconds to comply. And it just doesn't work. And that guy, I can't remember his name either, what, um, Kenny, yeah,
2: um, just like gets
0: fucking obliterated and he's just like running really around weird. saying, help me, help me. And nobody, like ev- everyone's they staying away not, from yeah. him <laughs> because ed Nine is about to blast him to pieces. And it's the, it's the Paul Verhoeven squibs. Like the squibs oh, are just yeah. fucking immaculate. Uh, and awesome. if you watch the director's cut, it goes on for way too long. And it's <laughs> yeah, horrifying. It's just that's just, body just smoking as yeah. well, on top of it. And the, then uh, oh. the scene ends and everybody is obviously they're like, oh, God, that was awful. Oh, and then someone says, someone call a paramedic. It's like, <laughs> that would help.
2: <laughs> oh, I, I've always loved that. Was someone, someone get a goddamn paramedic? <laughs> yeah. and like, uh, he, he's more than a paramedic, but that's the joke. <laughs> it's, but it's like, <laughs> beautiful. It's, There's no
0: consequences for anyone. Like, that's just the product that they were making went wrong. Back to the drawing board. We need to work out that bug. And that's it. Like, that guy died horribly, but there's no consequences. Uh, And it's horrifying and hilarious uh, in equal measures.
1: Yeah, again, it was one of those awe-inspiring scenes Mm. of the film, like, with with our fresh, you know, young eyes to, to to see that on screen. And that was a cut version, you know. It was like, whoa. (laughs) Well, my favourite scene's in the ending, so I'll touch upon that when we get into it. But um, before we do get to the ending of RoboCop, I just want to mention the score of the film, because it's absolutely epic, by Basil Poldoris. He has uh, quite an illustrious career in in the Hollywood films, and he's done such things as uh, Score Red Dawn, Hunt for Red October Conan the Barbarian Iron Conan Eagle Conan's score is mm,
3: God mm, tier I love mm, him
1: um, Starship Troopers and Free Willy So <laughs> no, we've got a few
3: yeah wow
1: but Basil here just nailed the feelings of the film perfectly didn't
3: he I can't say much more really it's it's, it's, it's like
0: it's like an industrial
3: theatrical yes. Very, uh, score right there's really like a real triumphant feel to it even though it's everything's shit and it's sad like, there's this real like triumphant energy to it like yeah Robocop and it just feels... it's,
0: it's like a superhero score <laughs> right yeah, so it and, it's and, really... and it's like over the top like Robocop's theme is playing over the top of like the montage of him go going out and quote unquote solving crime yeah. which means making <laughs> shooting people's shooting them. chest <laughs> cavities yeah. fucking explode shooting the guy in the dick <laughs> yeah uh, with this incredible <laughs> industrial score over the top yeah it's brilliant it's great, so great.
2: I'd, I've always loved the score for this this film it's, like I said it's just so mm-hmm metallic and dark and like it well, hitting it out on head, Steve, industrial sounding. Intertwined with that almost back to the future esque theme <laughs> for for Robocop <laughs> playing underneath it's, yeah. It's just blight. Even did he score the um news anchor segments and the ads? Because it's such a a jarring juxtaposition between this dystopian score to all of a sudden everyone's happy buy our products i mean it would surprise me if he was involved in that no because i think there's a lot of not so much a lot of red tape sometimes but sometimes like the scoring of the inner elements of the film go to like the scenic artists or something like that don't they or the outsource i don't know but it's just i love it i think it was my ringtone for a few years as well (laughs) (laughs) i think it was everyone's wasn't it at some point (laughs)
1: RoboCop was uh, not a disappointment, and just as violent as the rest of the film in places. And the, you know, it, it kind of kicks off in the Steel Mill. And Chris has mentioned it in his favourite uh, moment of the film, with between Murphy and Anne having this like one-on-one conversation, and and then of course the gang appear at the steel mill ready to find him and try and destroy him. And what ensues is just a bloodbath of like Robocop, just getting his revenge on the gang and finishing them off one by one. And this part of the ending was, was just, I don't know, like it was just memorizing, wasn't it? And this is like, plays into where my favorite scene of the film was because it it had to be the toxic waste (laughs) moment, you know, where, where he does fall into the toxic waste and he's just gets out and it's just roaming around the steel mill (laughs) like melting away and like (laughs) slurring like like a zombie in some ways and then just getting mowed over by the car and just being splattered everywhere (laughs) and it's just some, you know I mean I've watched a lot of films in my time but that particular scene is just always forefront of the brain and it's something that will never leave me, especially (laughs) the first time I saw it It's (laughs) it's just <laughs> immense. So Even now trying to talk about it, I can't in some ways because just just the way in which they filmed it and just the whole idea of him falling into the toxic waste and, and that happening, just mind-blowing. But what are your guys' impressions or, or thoughts on the ending of that, or that section of the ending?
0: Um, I, I
2: share your PTSD, Jason. <laughs> See, I, I never had PTSD. I remember watching it as a kid going, that is... Yeah. F- <laughs> fucking diabolically amazing. <laughs> but what what I love about it most is they didn't just do, like, a puppet that explodes. They put bones in it as well. Oh. So when, when he dissolves, you just get this multi-layered explosion of mutated toxic human it's just sublime it's It's the way yeah that's it for me it's the way the head comes off and
0: splatters (laughs) like a water balloon on the windshield (laughs) so
3: great so great Mm.
1: you kind of get a mix of emotions of like you you start to feel a little bit of pity on him when he's walking around erring and moaning and melting and stuff and then and then you then your brain clicks and think well no because this dude's an arsehole um he doesn't he doesn't need your pity. He doesn't need your to feel sorry for him or anything. Yeah. He deserves this. He deserves this ending. And you're kind of going through that kind of emotional ride too.
3: As much I think for me, as much as I love the uh this bit, my favourite bit from the whole like that part of the ending is uh I forget the guy's name, but it's when he's in, like, the crane cockpit and he drops all the scrap metal on oh, a cop. Yeah. Yeah. And you get, you get and Lewis has the big, you know, the big fuck-off gun. And you get that really just fantastic because he's just shouting out to Clarence, yeah, you see that? I got him! And then she just Boom. fires off in a low-angle wide shot. Just the whole crane just explodes. <laughs> and just, and he's like, he's gone. You know, Clarence yeah. just realises that oh, shit. <laughs> just that quick shift from, like, pure euphoria to just dead and I love that scene it gets a bigger laugh from me than even the bit with the meal and the toxic waste I don't know why it's just directed so beautifully like, I, just, <laughs> I love that scene so
1: we've briefly talked about the section where the Robocop goes to the Omni corporation and needs to get his revenge on, on, on Dick Jones really and throughout the film we we, we see on the screen about Directive 4 and Robocop can't quite access that information. Can he? Mm. We don't really know what, what directive four was through most of the film, but we, we kind of get to see that here where he plays the video of, of him, of Dick admitting the, the ordering of the killing of Bob Morton. And, you know, and then Dick takes the old man hostage, which we get the, the great line of like, Dick, you're fired. And like, you know RoboCop just turns around and goes thank you and then yeah. shoots the crap out of him
3: <laughs> fantastic
1: and then you get the the final shot of the film i guess where you know they they what do we call you son and like he turns mm. around and he says you know murphy and then it kind of just cuts to the end of the film
2: And then the whole yeah. theater cheers yes he's yeah. got his <laughs> he's
0: got his murphy back it's a it's a great moment, but there's no way that the old man does not know who that is. So it's a bit weird when he's like, "Nice shooting, son. What's your name?" It's like you know who that is. Come on! But it's yeah, a great setup. It's a great <laughs> setup though for him to just go, "Murphy." It's fantastic. It almost um, makes up for the incredibly long armed Dick Dick jackets yeah. falling out of the window. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah.
1: <clears throat> you 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 think like with all the 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 director's cut and the 4K and all this and that, they would have gone back and tidied that up a little bit wouldn't you but maybe they just left it there for
0: you know. I feel like if they did that someone would be cross about it
1: <laughs> yeah probably
2: <laughs> I think it was, wasn't it one of those cases where it was filmed by some other unit of the production mm. my understanding
0: and... is they they like couldn't afford an effect studio so they they hired individual like they, they hired phil Tippett like individually and different people did different parts of the effects. yeah so they subcontracted it and i think That's by right. the time
2: the shot was done and cleaned up and given to the editors they were like well we can't refilm it and they just were like well what else are we gonna run then <laughs> from the, the low-key death of just getting stabbed in the neck Of Clarence. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we could
1: talk about Clarence's demise, could
2: we? I I don't know how, like, because Murphy's, well, first initial death was so horrific, but Clarence is just so simple and to the point Mm. where it's just set up early in the film where Murphy's, well, it's technically what we know now as a USB key, isn't it? It's a thumb drive. (laughs) Yeah. He gets stabbed in in the neck with a thumb drive. Yeah. That he he can interface with computers. It's a universal data connection it's basically yeah it's a fun drive yeah and it's just such a Jeez. low-key simple death where he just engages that data key and stabs him in the neck and lets him bleed out you're right because is the kind so of guy simple. who
0: would want to go out in a blaze of glory right he would he would almost want to die like murphy did because it would be like you know a group like a dramatic death but yeah you're right it makes sense that it would piss him off just to get stabbed in the neck
2: with USB you know, cable. A, yeah, yeah, just such a simple death. And it just I don't know, it always stood out to me as fantastic. But
1: all that's left to do guys is just to give you give us your verdicts and final score on Robocop.
3: I think like what Steve said early on into uh, the show, it this stands as like probably one of my favourite films of all time. It's easily good like top twenty, top fifteen material which I know sounds low, but it's not really, considering how many films there are. I'm going to give this a nice, big, solid
2: 9.5. Oh, it's got to be a 10 for me again. I just (laughs) loved, I love everything about this film. It's, again, with a Verhoeven film, it's it's so delightfully simple, yet so delightfully complex in the same instant. I've just always loved it, and I always love revisiting it, and when my old action figure turns up and boys like, oh fucking yeah look at that like still got it and yeah i was just always watching it and i remember playing where i think we said we used to play it at school on the field you know who would have thought you know nine or ten year olds playing robocop <laughs> yeah. at a primary school <laughs> but then i see what my nieces and nephew watch now and i'm like yeah it's, nothing's changed really <laughs> nothing's really changed
1: there's Chris throwing his tens around like it's nothing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're onto to a good run this year, lads. We're onto to a good run. Yeah, yeah we well, pick I well.
1: Mean, so. I mean, if the listeners are wondering, like, are we just going to talk about our favourite ever films and TV shows? Excuse me. <clears throat> just so we can give them really high scores. Don't worry, we do have some bad movies coming up for us to talk about, <laughs> yeah. which oh, yeah. I'm sure will not be getting very high scores. So, Steve... <laughs>
0: I feel like me giving Top Secret a 10 is going to come back to haunt me every time you ask me this question.
1: Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't necessarily regret it, but it does feel weird in hindsight that I scored Top Secret a 10. Uh, there's, there's no way that I can give Top Secret a 10 and not give this a 10. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I fucking love this film. So I, I, think it, I think it has to be a 10 for me.
1: So 10 from Steve, 10 from Chris and a 9.5 from Rich.
3: Trying to be, you know, trying to be different. Trying to Sure. Don't worry. Not so predictable.
1: It's not getting a, It's not getting a ten from me. So don't worry about,
2: don't worry no. about that. Just on uh, the Ronnie Cox puppet's arms alone, Jason. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: RoboCop is a film to me of like the first time I've seen such a such a such a film, and it's left such a a mark on me for those particular scenes, but just for the story in itself. And I always kind of label Star Trek as being like the forefront of me getting into science fiction but i think i have to give robocop some credit for that as well because i i'm sure i saw robocop before i started watching star trek and with its with such its like science fiction themes and connections that this must be one of my one of my first experiences that i really enjoyed of the science fiction genre that that i have to give it credit for that on its own as well as the, the the great special effects and the great acting from Peter and um, excuse me from Kirkwood that it it does eclipse lots and lots of films for me it's not you know it's one of my favourite films definitely uh, it's not my favourite film which will obviously get reflected in my in my score but yeah it's it's such a I don't know like in some ways I wish there wasn't sequels to RoboCop I wish it was just mm. a standalone kind of film because the Robocop on its own is it's just this special thing that exists that can't be touched it can't be matched even even the Robocop remake did a good job of it but it just didn't have that Paul Van Hoven kind of touch to it which obviously the, the original does and that it just yeah it just it's it's just an untouchable thing really and it should just have been left where it was yeah but,
0: would you say jason that the film did its job and it should have been left alone but because you know they needed more profit they had to bring it back <laughs> uh, and yeah. bring it back to
2: life and
1: you know. yeah yeah big cap- capitalist kind of
2: oh you know. making the catapult cat- <laughs> catap- 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 uh hollywood's money yeah. and <laughs> then not understanding what the film was about in the first place mm. sure. we've seen this many times before yep yeah.
1: So, yeah, my uh, score for RoboCop will be 9.6. So, yeah, so with my 9.6 added to the, to the guy's scores, RoboCop comes in at, nice, 39.1, Ooh. which eclipses speed's 36.5 and puts it nicely at number two on our board from above. So let's get it on there. <laughs> nice. There it is, number two will anything top top secret?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I can only hope not. Maybe.
1: Maybe there is. I can think of one film that might. I know it's the film that I would give a 10 to. One day hopefully we'll recover it and um, find out what that is. Have for this week a massive thank you as always for everyone joining us. If you would like to donate to the show, then please visit our coffee page where you can show your support starting from just a single pound. Come and join us in our Discord server to discuss the topics we cover on the podcast, films, TV, video games, and much more. Link can be found in the show description or on our website. And speaking of the website, please give it a visit. We have articles, game reviews, my entire back catalogue of episodes and more at thewolfypod.com. Chaps, time to
3: say goodbye. Thank you for your cooperation.
2: Yeah. Bye. Bitches leave. And Sounds the finale of this podcast was brought to you by Sunblock 5000. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh dear, my name is B Jason, and you've been listening to What's Wrong With Wolfie, a retro podcast to the max. We'll catch you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.
3: Oi,
1: aí, tá
2: here embarking